It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a, a sports, sports rush, rush with Brett Love. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The Sports Fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rupp along with Adam Lundy coming up in this hour. We've got Zach Osterman joining us in about 12 minutes. Also on the way, Pat Boylan from the Indiana Pacers Radio Network will be joining us around 535. Coming up on Friday, Adam, I don't even know if you know this yet. I'm going to be off Friday. I did, yeah. I I got the memo, surprisingly. Oh, you you did? Yeah, they actually kept me in the loop for once. Uh, And uh, now, did did they expect me back on Monday? Oh, yeah, they do. Okay, good. Well, that's good for me. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Shannon Griffith, the coach, is going to be filling in on Friday's show, getting you all set to take you into your sports weekend on your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Looking forward to it. Tin Caps tomorrow have their single-game tickets going on sale. And so, tomorrow morning, you can get... Breakfast at Parkview Field, upper level. When you go in the main gates, just go up to the upper level, and there you can pick out what games you'd like to attend. You can get your tickets, but also available by calling or by going online at tincaps.com. You can choose what games will work on your schedule and get yourself lined up with the best seats possible because it's single-game tickets going on sale tomorrow morning. Right around the corner, tin cap season, and, and we kind of talked about this. This uh, breakfast event is kind of a chance for you to make your almost your own uh, season ticket package just by choosing which single right. games you want to go to. Right. This is like second level season tickets, but it's a season ticket package that's a mini package that's tailored to the games you know you want to go to. So if you've got certain promos, like maybe you maybe next year you want to go to the six big promotional nights. Okay, yeah. you want to get there right away tomorrow so you can enjoy the breakfast, but also get the best seats available for those promotional nights. Uh, this is the time to do it. Yeah, there's some good ones that are coming up this season, of course. You've got the Salute to Baseball Movies Night. They're doing another Fort Wayne Wizards throwback night. Uh, Jim O'Hare, who you probably know from uh, Parks and Recreation, he'll be there for TV sitcom night in July. So it's just a chance for you to kind of find out what games you want to go to. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. So with Indiana, we have now learned, expect the unexpected. Absolutely. Like all of a sudden last night, we were all set 22 minutes into that game to come in here on a Wednesday and just destroy the Hoosiers. (laughs) We were ready. We were ready. 
had my notes, I was like, oh, man. Oh, man. I'm calling them out for this because they have just absolutely laid an egg, did not give the kind of performance they needed to take advantage of a very vulnerable Ohio State team on the road. If Indiana wanted to have any hopes or prayers of making it to the NCAA tournament, which I think is a very small, small chance right now. Very. But if they wanted to have any chance, it's kind of like the chance they've got to beat Purdue. <laughs> According to what? ESPN stats and yeah. info, it's 3%. 3.1. 3. 3.1%. I'm sorry, I'm selling the Hoosier short. They got a 3.1% chance. Uh, I don't know what the line is. What do you think the line is? I don't is know if they've be? been made yet. Let's check. 11, 12? Uh, more than that? Uh, a lot of times that now I know on, on my app, the lines are not going to be posted until yeah. like 24 hours ahead or sometimes same day. And since it's a night game on a Saturday, it might not post until first thing Saturday morning. Yeah, no lines yet. Uh, but that's what I'm wondering. 11, 12 points. Does that sound neighborhood? That, yeah. 13, 14. I don't know if it goes that high. I think you're in the ballpark. Rivalry game. That that adds something. Might keep it a little closer. 10 and a half, 11 and a half in that range. If it, if it's if it's single digits, I probably would take Purdue. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's double digits, it's probably I would probably fade it and not not get invested in that. But uh, but I'm expect I would expect eleven and a half, twelve somewhere in that neighborhood. You would hope the Hoosiers try to keep it more competitive and close after their last uh, go around with Purdue. Yeah, I wonder what Mr. Vegas is expecting on the line for this game. I don't know what Ken Palm has it. I didn't look, but um, I wonder what Mr. Vegas is expecting for the line. If he's listening, I wonder if he can give us some info. By the way, I don't know if you watch, you know, a lot of these radio shows are being broadcast. Uh, there's a lot of them right now on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. There are. Did our program director miss the invite? I, what, uh, what What are we doing here in Fort Wayne, Adam? I don't know. We should be uh, hanging out, out there talking the... to, to T.J. Watt. <laughs> hanging out on the strip, man. Yeah. J.J. Watt, whoever Watt shows up. <laughs> One of them. Yeah. Jason least. Kelsey, he's he's available. <laughs> you might not, run... not not his brother Travis. <laughs> no, he's talking not. about Jason. You might run into uh, Eric Bieniemy for whatever reason. He was at the Chiefs playoff game against the 49ers, just hanging out. Just hanging out. Kinda, well, he, I think he talked to the team. He coached those guys for quite a while. He yeah. probably still has pretty good relationships with them. Of course, I don't <laughs> think they liked him all that well, but oh, geez. he's showing support. 46862, if you've got anything on your sports brain on this Wednesday edition of the Sports Rush. But Indiana does make a huge comeback in that second half to beat Ohio State. And you wonder where this leaves Chris Holtman. Mentioned this earlier. It's the worst possible time for Chris Holtman to be struggling because you've got a brand new athletic director at Ohio State. Football seems to be fine, so his focus isn't going to be on football. It's going to be right in on basketball. Don't know what kind of relationships he has. Don't know what his tolerance level is. Would uh, Because he's a new athletic director just taking over mid-year this year, is he going to show patience and tolerance, or is he going to be anxious to bring his guy in? Because Chris Holtman was not his hire, so is he going to look to bring in his guy? Now, I know the one thing is, in Chris Holtman's defense, is you do have an athletic director in Gene Smith, who is pretty respected by people, uh, in college sports and in other athletic institutions. And uh, I think the new athletic director probably has some respect for Gene Smith. So I don't know if he makes any quick changes, big changes. 
But there's going to be pressure because already you're seeing the crowds decline. They listed 11,000 last night. I doubt there was 11,000 there for that game at, uh, what what is it, the Schottenstein Center? It's actually Value City Arena. Value City Arena at Schottenstein or something like that. I, I don't know, but it's... it's um, but it holds almost 19,000, and they listed 11,000 as the attendance, and I'm not sure there really was 11,000 there. They probably are selling 50 to 60% of capacity right now. Yep. And yep. Uh, you just wonder, on a dollar and cents, what's happening with boosters? Is money starting to tighten up from the boosters? Because a lot of times those things behind the scenes are what affects coaching changes, affect coaching changes more, more so than anything else, and those are the things we often don't see the bottom line of what was contributed by boosters a year ago versus what's being contributed right now. Is it trending down? What does the recruiting look like? Uh, what is the NIL? Are they going to be able to bounce back and go to the portal and be able to compete next year? A lot of questions that are going to have to be answered at Ohio State. And I like Chris Holtman. Chris Holtman was actually nice enough to join this show at one point. And, um, and he, he owed us nothing being an Ohio State coach to join an Indiana radio station, but he did join the show one time. So I, I like Chris Holtman. Of course, he was the former coach at Butler, so he's got some Indiana, state of Indiana ties. And uh, and I think the guy has probably earned another year, but you do have that situation with a new athletic director that you always have to be concerned about if you're a coach. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. So Indiana gets a big outing for Trey Galloway. Trey Galloway was the rally for the Indiana Hoosiers. It was when Trey Galloway decided to get hot, and he spent two and a half minutes when the Hoosiers were down by 12 points with seven and a half minutes left. He spent the next two and a half minutes getting two free throws, a three-pointer, a two-point jumper, another two three-pointer, and then uh, a 10-point run that cut the 12-point lead to one point, Indiana went on a 13-1 to run to make it 67-66. And I don't think it's a coincidence the two Indiana-bred high school basketball players helped to lead the charge for Indiana last night. And you mentioned the, the tweet slash post. I still have trouble calling yeah. it a post. That Anthony Leal put out there that it was for the name on the front of the jersey, which was our point yesterday we were talking about, is that Indiana has to show some pride for the the letters that are on the front of their jersey. Yeah, and he was kind of not only, not only mentioning the one shot that he made, he, um, it was a response to the Big Ten putting out a nearly two-minute reel of Anthony Leal highlights, just kind of focusing on his hustle and, and grit and stuff that he did away from the ball. But that's what he retweeted and said for the name on the front of that jersey with the heart emoji. All right, so uh, coming up, Zach Osterman's going to talk more about this on the other side of the break. Also, Pat Boylan joins us a little bit later. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Romp, along with Adam Lundy. And coming up on the show in just a few, we're going to be talking to Pat Boylan about the Indiana Pacers. They got a win last night and just about to the All-Star game, which will be taking place down in Indianapolis. We'll talk to Pat about a number of things coming up in just minutes. Right now, joining us on our guest line to talk about that big second-half comeback by the Indiana Hoosiers from the Indy Star. It is Zach Osterman. And, Zach, let's start, before we get to the comeback, let's talk about the deficit. Because every big comeback means at some point there was a big deficit. 
Indiana got down 18, and it looked through that first half and maybe the first minute or two of the second half, we were seeing that somewhat lethargic, uninterested, step slow Indiana Hoosier squad on the road at Ohio State last night. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, and I don't think this is the only reason I don't want to oversimplify. They just weren't making shots early, and they were actually getting some good ones. You know, Khalil Ware had some good looks around the rim. I thought McKenzie and Baco had some moments in the first half where actually, you know, it's kind of one of those where he did all the hard work, you know, using a screen, getting downhill, you know, splitting two men and then missing the layup, like that kind of thing. But, you know, they started 4 of 16 from the floor, and I'm not trying to demean Ohio State, although obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not a day to praise Ohio State, but I didn't think Ohio State had a ton to do with that. I thought Indiana just ran some decent offense, missed some shots, and then I think you you maybe saw, and this will happen with young teams, um, you maybe saw some of that confidence seep away at the other end of the floor mm-hmm. because the shots were falling, and so suddenly it feels a little bit, you know, you're on the road, and it's an unfamiliar environment, and, you know, Ohio State's already got some tough matchups, some tough covers for Indiana, you know, when, when Thornton and Gale and Battle are all on the floor together, and then Kalel wears in foul trouble. And so for a little while there, I think, it, you know, in some ways it almost just kind of felt like, you know, maybe Indiana sort of succumbing to, to feeling like everything was just sort of going wrong. They couldn't do anything right. And, yeah, I think, like anybody, you know, you, you saw, I saw that, that start in the, the second half and Malik Renew getting the technical foul and I still haven't seen the, the, the call that um, that sort of prompted it just because it was at the far opposite end of the floor and I guess they called the travel but I couldn't see Malik Renew's feet because of all the bodies in the way. But actually, you know, I don't think it was necessarily a rallying moment but I think it, it was one. It was certainly kind of a thumbtack in a game, you know, in the, in the course of the game you push into the wall and say, you know, something kind of changed from here. Um, and, and Indiana, I think, to its credit, pulled itself back together because that wasn't, you know, that comeback, and I will talk about it in a minute, but I think one of the big things that really stands out about it, it's not like Indiana just hit, you know, four straight threes or something to just take an 18-point lead down to a six-point lead, and then the game almost reset itself. They had to be patient. They had to be persistent. And they had to kind of pull themselves together after, yeah, looking like they didn't have a ton of poise, a ton of confidence there in the first 21, 22 minutes of the game. Isn't this, though, as the transition happened in the second half, we finally see the Trey Galloway that I think Indiana fans were hoping to see throughout the year. That's the guy that they were hoping was coming back, was the guy who could hit shots, who could create a little havoc defensively, played with great energy, seemed to, in my my perception of it, was he seemed to uplift the rest of his teammates as well while he did it. That's That's the Trey Galloway, I think, that has been missing too often. I think that's fair to a point. I, I think that the difference is I don't know that we would have necessarily seen, and, and I don't even know that Indiana would have necessarily planned for the idea of Trey Galloway as a lead ball handler in the way, you know, and I'm not, please understand, this is not me suggesting he's going to be a lottery pick, but I'm, I'm reminded a little bit of the transformation of Victor Oladipo in his sophomore season. That only really happens because Verdell Jones is out injured, and so Indiana has to kind of put the ball in Oladipo's hands it has to find some other way into its offense. And so it gives Oladipo, who's this big-bodied, athletic, sort of downhill. When he gets downhill, he's like a bowling ball. You know, guys can't stop him. And that, that opens the door for Indiana to try something different. Um, you know, if Xavier Johnson's healthy all year, I don't, I don't know that Trey Galloway as a primary ball handler is a thing that Indiana sort of tinkers with, experiments with quite as much as it has been. But, of course, necessity breeds invention and 
that's what Indiana's kind of had to go with. And you think back to, you know, that Kansas game probably being maybe the first big example. What did he score that day? I think 28 points. And obviously that was a game where Indiana needed, you know, all of, of Trey Galloway's best. And he's, you know, he's kind of been up and down since then. He had 17 points in the loss against Purdue. Um, you know, he's had some games. I think about like, for example, the, um, the win over Minnesota where he only had 10 points, but he also had seven assists. He had seven assists in the first win over Ohio State. You know, you, you talk about last night, he had 25 points. And in particular in the second half, I think he had something like 19 points, all four of his assists, I think four of his six rebounds, his steal, all of his made threes. So there's there's probably, you know, some of the, the you know, Trey Galloway's kind of profile that, that has been more of what, as you said, Indiana fans maybe hoped kind of from the start of the season. But I think there's also been some of, you know, having to, put more on Galloway's shoulders than Indiana probably intended to at one point because Xavier Johnson has missed so much time through injury. And that is, you know, maybe producing a Trey Galloway that is rising to the moment a little bit more here, and Indiana is going to need him to keep doing that. Is Xavier Johnson going to be back at all this year? Do we do we have an honest answer on that? It's, I mean, it's, it's tough uh, to know. And, and, I mean, the answer is publicly no. Mike Woodson has just kind of said he's, you know, he's, he's, um, he's doubtful. That was the only word Woodson used. I think we were all kind of able to get a little bit more depth behind that in terms of he's just out indefinitely. Um, you know, it's it, uh, watching the replay and, you know, assuming there was no break there, which I think is something that probably would have, you know, been season ending. It, it does seem like there's at least maybe a dislocation. And so then you're sort of talking about, cause it, you know, it, it's been described as an elbow injury. And you're talking about a lot of tendons and, and ligaments and, you know, stuff that fits together kind of weirdly within that joint. And so I, I suspect it's one of those where you can maybe put a timeline on it, a little bit like an ankle sprain, like a, a, a severe ankle sprain where you can put a timeline on it, but that timeline can change if it just doesn't respond to treatment. And, you know, hey, the, the reality is we're talking about a basketball season. What is it today, February 7th? I mean, there's three more weeks in February. The season goes 10 days into March and then the NCAA tournament. So right now we're only talking about five or six more weeks, you know, of guaranteed basketball. If you are dealing with an injury that's, you know, potentially going to be a problem for a little while, there's not a lot of runway left to get a guy healthy. So it's, it's tough to say at this point. Zach, I don't know if you've got a read on this or not, but Ohio State now has a new athletic director, and it's not the year for Chris Holtman to be struggling when you have a new athletic director that comes in. How hot is Chris Holtman's seat? I mean, it would be hard to imagine it not being pretty warm. You know, I think, you know, last night you obviously saw two teams that kind of came into that game struggling, but I think you, by the end of the game, you saw a real sort of stark difference between a team that's maybe, you know, inexperienced, limited in some ways, undeniably flawed, but clearly still kind of fighting for its season, fighting for itself, trying to get better, trying to, you know, just sort of figure out a way to claw something meaningful out of the season versus a team that, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't want to fall on cliches or, you know, sort of lazy tropes. It is hard to look at a team losing an 18 point lead at home and not to Purdue, you know, not to Illinois or, or Wisconsin, but to a team that had lost six of nine and four of five coming into that game to a team that was coming off a dispiriting loss to Penn State to a team that looked for the first 21, 22 minutes as we discussed, like it had just kind of bought into all of its criticisms and things like that. And maybe, maybe just didn't have the confidence to pull itself together and pull itself out. And the way Ohio State loses again, you know, there's, there's not a lot that's sort of freakish about that. You know, Indiana didn't 
like I said, Indiana didn't just hit threes on five straight possessions and suddenly an 18-point game is a three-point game and, oh, my God, no one could have seen it coming. You know, Ohio, Indiana made a couple runs, got it down to nine twice. Ohio State answered twice, and Indiana just sort of kept persisting and kept persisting. And when you hear a player say something like what Anthony Leal said, which was, you know, we thought maybe they'd crack, and I don't remember his exact quote, but that's essentially kind of what he said. If we just kept applying the pressure, we thought, you know, maybe it would get to them essentially. And you just kind of look at the complexion of the last two or three years for Ohio State, it is difficult to imagine you know, Chris Holtman is, is sitting in a particularly comfortable seat right now. Like you, I don't have a great read on Ross Bjork. Um, you know, will they want to make a change like that right away? Obviously, football's in a pretty good place. Ohio State, I suspect, it's going to be one of the three to five best teams in the country next season. And Jim Harbaugh's gone from Michigan, so you have a little bit maybe more airspace at the top of the Big Ten. You know, does that make it more or less likely that you'd be willing to pay what I think is still a, a fairly substantial buyout figure for Holtman? I'm not positive on that. Um, but one way or another... You know, it, it's not a comfortable place to be if you're Chris Holtman. And even just being in that building, it, it can be a tough one if fans aren't engaged because that building is, is not a – it was not an arena built for home court environment. It was an arena built for, you know, neutral site events, concerts and things. And listen, when, you know, when Thad Mata had Ohio State come in and that place was packed and, and fans were, you know, into it for all 40 minutes, it was as intimidating as any place in the Big Ten because it's big and it's cavernous and you could fit, you know, whatever seventeen, eighteen thousand people in there and it could just it could just feel like, you know, the best of an NBA arena. But when you're struggling and there's only seven thousand people in there and two thousand of them are Indiana fans and another couple thousand probably aren't sure about the direction of the program at, at any given moment, it, you know, it, it sort of starts to tell its own story and it's it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, but you know, sitting in that building last night, you could just what happened on the court felt like it turned kind of quickly, but you could just feel this energy building that that Ohio State just couldn't control. And I, I think we've all been around that with a coach when things start to go a certain way and maybe it becomes something that they're going to struggle to sort of arrest the, the negative momentum. I don't know, Zach, as we talked to Zach Osterman for the Indy Star about the Indiana Hoosiers. If you've looked into this at all, but when I just look at the box score and I see 11 turnovers for Indiana, that's not an outrageous number. That's well within what is considered kind of average for a college basketball game. But I look at Ohio State converting those 11 turnovers into 22 points. Now I'm starting to think maybe there's some bad turnovers in there. How did Ohio State convert the 11 turnovers into 22 offensive points? Yeah, I mean, I think it it actually, to Indiana's credit, and it's one of those, those funny things, just one of those quirks of basketball. You know, in, first of all, Indiana has gotten better with turnovers. It was a real problem. I'm sure you'll remember early in the season. Oh, yeah. Indiana was among, you know, the, the worst sort of teams, at least in the Big Ten, in terms of turnover rate. Um, you know, quietly, Indiana hasn't fixed all of its issues, but it has gotten better with turnovers um, recently. But there have been maybe a couple more games like that, and I don't have all the numbers right in front of me, the game-by-game numbers right in front of me, but in a weird way there were times when Indiana would have a lot of turnovers that would really sort of kind of, you know, cancel out any offensive momentum it could build, but they weren't the sorts of live ball turnovers that led to runouts and quick baskets and things like that, whereas you see that a little bit more in a game like Ohio State. But then the flip side is, if you think about the, the Ohio State game in Bloomington, Ohio State pounded Indiana on the offensive glass, and last night Indiana, you know, w- without, you know, absolutely dominating, pretty comprehensively won the rebounding battle, the offensive rebounding battle, the second-chance points battle, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, maybe it feels a little bit at times like, you know, fighting fighting one fire at the expense of another. I don't know. I think probably more than anything, it, it 
it just feels like a team, you know, Anthony Leal said something last night that, that stuck with me, um, and I don't know how profound he meant for it to sound, but it, it, it fit for me. He said, he said the game was another opportunity to learn about winning. And, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those where when you and I, when, when any of us had these conversations in the preseason about this team, we all acknowledged that this was a, a possible sort of outcome within the variance range for Indiana, that this team might be too young. It might have turned over too much. It might have lost too much production. It might be too limited in some key areas, particularly shooting the basketball. Um, but for a long time, because it's Indiana and by their own, sort of admission or their own sort of standards, they expect to be in the NCAA tournament conversation every year, and they expect to be winning at a level that they really haven't, sorry, that they haven't really met this season so far. You know, you're kind of grading on that scale. If we recontextualize the season to just sort of say, hey, this is a young team trying to grow up, then suddenly you look at a night like last night, you say, well, there was still this problem, but they also solved this problem, and yes, they dug themselves this hole, but when the opportunity presented itself for them to climb out, they did. And they made these key shots, and seniors stepped up here, and sophomores stepped up here. It just kind of reframes the season a little bit, and I think that's kind of where Indiana's just got to be. And maybe they've, you know, maybe internally they've been there all year. I don't know, and I know that I've kind of exploded this answer from just talking about turnovers to something a little bit more philosophical. But I think that's just kind of where Indiana's got to be for a while. It's just saying, hey, like, you know, did we get better in this game? Did we, did we, did we fix a problem? Did we solve a problem together? Did we overcome a challenge? Did we get better today? And we, can we carry that into tomorrow? Because whether there's a tournament run in this team's future, and obviously right now I think they're a long way away from that, or this is just a season that winds up needing to be more about building blocks for a better future, you know, that's how you ensure that this season turns into something productive, is if they just kind of go game by game and they just say, hey, today let's make sure we fix this problem, and tomorrow we'll worry about this, and, and let's just keep to use the football coach cliche, let's just keep stacking good days and see where it gets us. Uh, Zach, real quick, they got Purdue coming up on Saturday. What's the ceiling? What's the floor for what this game means? It, do they have a shot at the NCAA tournament with a win? Is it completely out of the question if they get a loss? Where do you see the ceiling and the floor based on the outcome of this game against Purdue? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's out of the question if they lose. Um, I just think it would require basically a level of sort of consistency that we haven't seen from the team. I think they need to go, you know, like six and one down the stretch to kind of put themselves back in that conversation. I, I do think, and I think it's obviously a pretty unlikely, you know, scenario. I think I want to say Ken Pum had him at four or five percent chance of victory. And, and even that just with the way Purdue's been playing the last few weeks, even that feels perhaps a little bit generous, but, um, you know, it, it, let's live in a world for a moment where they won this game. I don't think that would vault them straight into the field, but I think that would, you know, that would suddenly take them from sort of like comfortably out of the tournament. Nobody's talking about them. There's no reason to, to, hey, you got to consider this team because that's basically as good of a win as anybody in America is going to have all year. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's a little bit of a free hit for Indiana in the sense that as long as they don't go up there and lose by 40, you know, as long as there's, as long as they're just kind of not absolutely just sort of historically embarrassed, um, and you know, in a way that let's be fair, at least by some measures, they, they just about were in Bloomington earlier in the season. That was Purdue's biggest win in Bloomington since like 1934 or something like that. Um, then I don't think that they necessarily have to sort of hang their heads out of a game like that. Purdue might be the best team in the country if they can play well. If they can, you know, take some credit away from that game, even even in losing, and then take that into their second bye week because they're off for eight days after that, 
then you got two games at home against Northwestern and Nebraska, then suddenly maybe, yeah, again, you feel like it's a, it's a team that is starting to stack some building blocks on top of one another. But I think the, the biggest thing for Indiana, excuse me, for Indiana right now, and, and maybe the biggest lesson out of last night is just how to tackle a problem one step at a time and just say, you know, it's not all going to come back at once. There's no 10-point play, and there's no, you know, getting control of, 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 of the course of this season isn't going to happen just with one win or even one week. Just keep trying to have, you know, good possessions, good days, good games, and see if you can't find some of that consistency that's obviously been missing. And then, you know, just see where you are in March. If that's Maybe you're in the fringe of the NCAA tournament conversation. Maybe you've at least kind of recovered a level of momentum heading into whatever your postseason looks like, whatever your offseason looks like, and a young team maybe feels like it's building toward next season. I think that's all Indiana can do right now. Zach, always appreciate it. And great coverage uh, following the Hoosiers. You can get it at Indy Star. Zach, uh, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. That is Zach Osterman. I'm talking to him like it's Friday. (laughs) Have a great weekend, Zach. Uh, Like his weekend has started already. Uh, But anyway, Indiana, Purdue coming up this weekend. That's kind of what I was thinking was, hey, you're going to be involved working with that game. Have have fun and enjoy it. That is Zach Osterman from the Indy Star. Got to take a break because on the other side of the timeout, Pat Boylan from the Indiana Pacers Radio Network is going to join us. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix. Four to six, Brett Rupp, Adam Lundy. You're connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line each and every day, every show. 46862 is our text line number. Let us know what's on your mind. Questions, comments, or suggestions. We always are taking your input here at the Sports Rush. 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Last night, Pacers get a win at home against the Houston Rockets. 132-129 wasn't necessarily the margin I think kind of hoped for, but it's an improving Houston team. They're better than they have been in the past. They are, uh, uh, you know, right around 500. Uh, They made it a battle, uh, but the Pacers kind of uh, rode a stretch there in that third quarter, took over control of the game, and then held on to the finish. Pat Boylan, who you hear on the Indiana Pacers radio network, is joining us right now on the Sports Rush. And, and, Pat, it's just about that weekend that we've waited for for a while. Uh, in fact, we've waited for it a couple of times. The uh, All-Star Weekend just about upon us. How are things down in Indy? Yeah, you can really start to feel everything getting ramped up here, and you can certainly tell that we are, um, you know, as of talking here, eight days until what will be the tip-off of All-Star Weekend here in Indianapolis, which is on Thursday night. If you walk around the city, uh, you can see all sorts of banners and different signage that's been hung up. Some of the Pacers related, uh, Tyree Taliburton's face is on the side of the JW downtown. You know, the NBA, they, in a lot of ways, uh, take over a lot of the operations for All-Star Weekend. So they've got a lot of control, too. There's a massive, for example, Devin Booker, uh, probably eight-story-sized uh, poster on, on one of the hotels right next to the field house. So you walk around right now, and you can definitely get the feel and get the sense that All-Star Weekend is right around the corner, and you said it. Um, I started working here in the fall of, of 2014, and I, I feel like I've been hearing about this event pretty much since then. And it got delayed, of course, because of COVID. So this is round two. It, it almost feels surreal that it's here, but we're all very excited to have uh, Indianapolis kind of become the center of the sporting world for a few days. Are you getting a sense of what will be Indiana's signature on this event? What What is 
with uh, we, you know, with the Indiana Indiana Sports Corp down there and the the visit Indy and all being involved, you know that Indianapolis always goes that extra length to make sure their event is memorable and it has something special for fans, for players. What is that that uh, mark that that Indianapolis is trying to make on this weekend? Well, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's what's made so many other big events in Indianapolis successful. The Final Four is here every five years or so. Of course, the Super Bowl from 12 years ago, the 500. And that is um, just the downtown area and how walkable and how accessible it is. And I think one thing that's kind of cool that they've done specific to this All-Star Weekend is they've sort of laid out downtown kind of like a basketball court. So if you look at the maps, uh, they've been drawn and events have been placed in a way um, that kind of makes it look like a basketball court, which brings, um, you know, some specific basketball and NBA-related feel uh, to all of this. So I-, I think as many big events are downtown, it's going to be remembered for just how accessible it is, how easy it is to get around. Nobody has to get on a shuttle to go from one thing to the other. Um, there's kind of three home bases, Gainbridge Fieldhouse, which will be the host uh, of the All-Star Game. Uh, Lucas Oil Stadium will have Saturday night. The Indiana Convention Center, too, is going to play a big role in this. And I, you know, I think one thing that's been so important to those above me at PSNE, Pacers Sports and Entertainment, has been making this event accessible, as accessible as they possibly can for everybody. And we just got done uh, taping a podcast with Rick Houston, who's the CEO on the business side of the organization. And he was saying that the most uh, the least expensive ticket in uh, Salt Lake City last year for Saturday night up in the Raptors was $550. And while we understand there's going to be a demand that's always going to outweigh the supply for an event like this, uh, they're able to have 10,000 tickets at $24 for mm-hmm. Saturday night. And it's not just that. Um, there are there's, there's a tip-off event on Thursday that is at, uh, that was actually free. You had to claim tickets, but was free. Um, you can get into this, the crossover events, which happen uh, throughout All-Star Weekend at the Indiana Convention Center, which are just $35 for adults and 20 for kids. So even if you can't make the game or make Saturday night, um, there's something for everybody. And I think that's really what the hope is that the takeaway is, is that you can come down and be part of the environment for free, of course, walk around Indianapolis. It looks like fingers crossed the weather forecast while still a little far out to predict is looking decent. Um, and, and that there's something for everybody at a price point for everybody. And I think if there's one thing that you would say that that's the hope is the takeaway from it is that it's probably that. Talking to Pat Boylan from the Indiana Pacers Radio Network joining us here on the Sports Rush. Pat, let's talk about this new look for the Indiana Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton now just working his way back uh, last night, a few extra minutes. So hopefully he's getting back to 100%. That pairs him with Pascal Siakam who uh, last night, 29 points, and uh, Rick Carlisle talking about he should have been an all-star and would have been an all-star if he would not have been involved in the trade. But but the bottom line is we're trying to evaluate where this team is at, what type of a run can this group make. And I don't know if it's five games, ten games. What, what do you feel comfortable with seeing these guys together where we can make a fair evaluation of just what the trade meant to the Pacers? Yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting question, and I don't know that there's a number that immediately jumps into my head other than just the general thought, which is I don't know that we've seen one game of it yet because, as you've noted, Tyrese Halliburton has not played um, more than 30 minutes except that one brief game where he did come back. Um, But even in these instances where Halliburton and Siakam have gotten to play together, it's been 22 minutes, 21 minutes, 20 minutes. Last night, the best example at 29 
And while Halliburton has had some nice performances and some good showings, I think you watch even a game like last night where he was pretty impactful in and go, you can tell he's not quite there yet in terms of being back to 100%. So we really haven't gotten the chance to see, I think, 100% Halliburton with 100% Siakam. But I think, I think it's promising what you've seen in general from Siakam and what he's been able to do. And I think he's been really important to the last couple of weeks, which is if you look down the roster, the Pacers have dealt with injury or illness to nearly every single player on it except Siakam. And it's been an up-and-down couple of weeks, but uh, some of the ups that they've been able to experience, I don't know that they win those type of games without Siakam. They won three out of four at home, um, beating Philadelphia and Phoenix a couple weeks ago without Halliburton. And frankly, this group last year was not capable of doing that. And so I think Siakam gets a lot of credit, as well as the continued development of the roster. And frankly, you know, this is this might not be a discussion that you can really have until out of the All-Star break, because even if that minutes restriction were to be lifted for Halliburton starting tomorrow, he's still admittedly not 100% back. And you've only got now at this point four games until the All-Star break. So unfortunately, it might take some patience here, and it might take until early, mid, maybe even late March until you get a really good feel for what this group is capable of. But at the same time, the Eastern Conference, really beyond Boston, is up for grabs. I mean, right now, Cleveland's in second. I don't think anybody saw that coming. New York has been um, on a tear. Philadelphia is free-falling without Joel Embiid. So you look at the state of the East, and you say, really, outside of Boston, you know, anything is theoretically possible, including, of course, moving down, too. Miami and Orlando have been playing a lot better lately also. And I think it's going to make the last month and a half of the NBA season really fascinating. All right, we've got some smoke. How much fire is there with the uh, the buzz about the Pacers having interest in Andrew Wiggins? And I know there's many levels of interest, but have you heard anything, and is this serious? I haven't heard anything specifically, and this uh, a lot of this goes over my head in terms of contract talks, but I think you know what, what Bruce Brown was to the Pacers in a lot of ways from being a veteran leader, uh, but also... Um, you know, potentially a, a contract that the Pacers were able to turn into a guy like Pascal Siakam. I think if they were interested in Wiggins, it would be, you know, maybe for some similar reasons that they were for Bruce Brown. But I, I, what, what I am confident of as we hit the trade deadline here is if nothing happens, the Pacers feel very comfortable with this. They've made their move. Their big splash came before the trade deadline. Um, but if the Pacers had held off and made this Siakam move, today or tomorrow, um, you know, that would have been the big move for the year. And so it's better that they got it done when they did because it's gotten Siakam three weeks or so to get acclimated that he wouldn't have had if they did the, deadline, the deal at the deadline. Um, but, but the Pacers, I am very confident that they are very confident in what they've got here. So where there might have been some internal pressure a month ago to get something done like a Siakam-type deal um, and, and maybe the Pacers were the aggressors on that deal – I don't get the sense that Indiana is the aggressor in this situation now. I think they'll be monitoring everything. One thing I think Kevin Pritchard does a really good job of and his, his whole team um, is, is keeping tabs on everything around the NBA. And there have been numerous moves that have been beneficial to the Pacers that you would have never guessed that the Pacers would be a part of. You know, For example, they were part of that James Harden deal that got him from Houston to Brooklyn. Um, so you just never know, and, and Pritchard is the type of general manager that's not afraid um, to make a move, not afraid to make a little noise. He's done it uh, in, in two of the last couple of trade deadlines with, with Halliburton a couple seasons ago, and then this one with Siakam. So 
when you're in a spot like the Pacers are, I think they're always looking to strike if that opportunity gets there. But I do feel like they they think that they accomplished their goal for the trade deadline already, and anything else would be a cherry on the top and not something that they're going to force at this point. It would have to be the right deal coming to them. Uh, but anything is possible, I think. It wouldn't shock me at all if a move um, was made within the next uh, 24 or so hours. At, uh, well, I've talked to you again. We're out of time today, but I do want to talk to you at some point uh, about the Indiana Fever, that number one choice, and uh, uh, if anybody's done any kind of real estate search to see if Caitlin Clark's name's on <laughs> on any papers around Indy. Uh, but we'll talk to you again. Hey, if I don't talk to you before, have a great All-Star weekend. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate you having me on. And for anybody in Fort Wayne, we'd love to have you down here for All-Star weekend. If you can make it, this is a a statewide event, and we'd love to see you down. So appreciate the time, as always, Brett, and we'll have that conversation here hopefully coming up soon. Yep, thanks, Pat. That's Pat Boylan from the Indiana Pacers Radio Network. He's also the Indiana Fever play-by-play voice. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up here on this Wednesday edition of the Sports Rush, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Maria Marcasano, head women's basketball coach at Purdue Fort Wayne, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. And we're back. Final time here on the Sports Rush. Taking a wrap on your Wednesday. That means uh, coming up tonight, you know what it means. The chopper is warming up right now. I'm heading to the Coliseum. We've got Mastodon's basketball against Cleveland State. 6.45, the pregame show. 7 o'clock, the tip. Uh, good Cleveland State team, but also a Cleveland State team that is one of those teams the Mastodons need to get past if they're going to get into those top four spots. And really, those are the coveted spots when you get to the end of the regular season. You want to get one of those top four positions because those are the first-round buys. Those are the second-round home games. And right now, the Mastodons would have to get at least one road win uh, before they, they got to Indianapolis for a, a Final Four. So, anyway, uh, it is a big one tonight at the Coliseum against Cleveland State. Mastodons had that 15-point lead, and Cleveland State came back in the second half. It was almost like the Mastodons were left feeling like Ohio State, except it was a road game. But uh, we'll have to turn the tables tonight against Cleveland State. Join us for the coverage or join us in person at the Coliseum. Thanks to our guests that appeared on the show. Zach Osterman from the Indy Star. Pat Boylan from the Indiana Pacers Radio Network. We're coming back tomorrow on the Thursday edition of the Sports Rush. Eric Dute, Dute Kevitt, she's going to get us all set for not only the stretch run for boys basketball, but also the girls regionals that come up on Saturday. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a few from the Coliseum. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.